Well, good morning, and welcome once again to the Family Bible Hour. Last Sunday, we had the joy and the privilege of meeting with Jack Correll and to enjoy Jack's ministry on the subject of prayer. Two weeks earlier, we heard from our brother Chris Lee, who preached on dying to self. What wonderful ministry we have been blessed with here at Faith for the last 13 years. The men who approach this platform are committed to proclaiming the Word of God faithfully and accurately. And they are protectors of the preserved Word of God as found in our King James Version in the English language. Each one of us has been careful to present our sermons honestly and faithfully and to not put words into God's mouth. We tremble at the thought of making a mistake in our presentation of the scriptures, which we expound because we know that we shall all be held accountable one day before God. We toil and agonize over the sermons which we prepare each week. We often lie awake at night thinking and rethinking, how shall we present this clearly, honestly, and simply so that the saints of God might be edified and our Savior magnified? We then step up to the platform trusting that God will empower us for service and will break through to each heart what he would have them to know. And the responsibility of the preacher is to expound the word of God so that it may edify and encourage or even rebuke both saint and sinner alike. This, of course, cannot be done without the enabling of the Spirit of God. And the ultimate goal is to see spiritual growth. But if you are not here very often, you will not benefit from these ministries. Nevertheless, if there are times that you're unable to be at service for whatever reason, then we strongly encourage you to avail yourselves of our messages on sermon audio or to ask for a personal cassette, which we will be happy to provide you with. If we are truly his, then we have a spiritual responsibility, not only to ourselves, but also and especially to our Savior, to be constantly growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. There is nothing more pleasing to Satan, our adversary, than stagnant and growth-stunted Christians who no longer are able to carry on the battle of winning souls for Christ. And so with those thoughts in mind, let's turn to our main text for this morning's sermon on Genesis 45, verses 1 to 28. And thank you once again, Luke, for reading this passage for us earlier on in the service. Genesis 48, 1 to 28. But as always, let's first turn to the Lord in, in prayer. Father, we are so thankful to be here again this morning and to have thy holy, divinely inspired, divinely preserved word of God in our own hands. And we pray, Lord, as we open this text before us this morning, that the Spirit of God might speak to us 
about what he would have each of us do and how to better serve our Savior and our Lord as we come away from here. For we ask it all in his name and for his glory. Amen. In our last message on the book of Genesis, we looked at Genesis 44, verses 1 to 34, and saw how Judah, when the brethren had been stopped and turned back from continuing their journey home and had been charged with stealing the silver cup which Joseph used for divining, how Judah emerged as the mediator of his brethren. He confessed their sin before God in verse 16 and pled for mercy on behalf of his brethren, but especially on behalf of his young brother Benjamin, in whose sack of corn was found the silver cup. It was therefore Benjamin who would now have to be imprisoned, according to Joseph's words. In the last 17 verses of Genesis 44, we saw a different Judah from the Judah who was originally part of the jealous and rebellious band of brothers who sold Joseph into slavery. A transformation had somehow taken place in his life between the first visit to Egypt and now. The Judah we see now is one whom we can admire and sympathize with. He emerges as the sole defender and protector, so to speak, of young Benjamin and his father Jacob's welfare. He very passionately and yet very respectfully presents their case before Joseph, completely unaware before whom he was standing. If Benjamin were not to return home with them, then surely their father Jacob would die of grief. Judah's sincerity and compassion reveals itself in every sentence which he utters. And he concludes his plea with these final three verses. Verse 32. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come upon my father? And earlier on in verse 20, as Judah began his intercession for Benjamin, Judah tells uh, Joseph that his father Jacob loveth him, that is, Benjamin. And Joseph could relate immediately with that statement, for Jacob loved Joseph in the same way before he was taken from his father. And as we follow Judah's intercession before Joseph, we are reminded of another intercession that would come one day on a hill far away called Calvary, where one who, unlike Judah, was completely innocent of all crimes, one who would offer himself up as a surety 
for the souls of the entire world. He would become the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Then we begin chapter 45 of Genesis with another most heart-wrenching scene. Joseph, who for so long had been separated from his family and had endured so much suffering, affliction, humility from the time that he was thrown into the pit and then into prison, was now in a most amazing position of exaltation and power. He was, so to speak, God's extended hand of grace and a channel of deliverance, not only for his own family, but also for Egypt and for all the nations of the world. And I can't help but think how often Joseph must have laid awake at nights thinking of his father and his brothers and the life which he had before he was sold into slavery. How he must have wept thinking about his father Jacob who loved them so much. And how he must have struggled with his fear of possibly never seeing them alive again. But through it all, God was with Joseph. And Joseph never lost his faith in the Almighty. Though maybe in the early stages of his journey, Joseph may not have known what God was doing in his life. But he was nevertheless certain that God was still with him and that those dreams which he had dreamed were somehow a very vital piece to the entire puzzle. His ability, his God-given ability to so accurately interpret the dreams of both the butler and the baker, and then later on of Pharaoh, assured him that God was still with him. But in the meantime, oh, there's always a meantime, isn't there? But in the meantime, if Joseph was to be a vessel meet for the master's use, then Joseph would have to first pass through the fiery furnace of patience, humility, and suffering at the hands of fallen men so that his faith might emerge as a refined gold with all of its dross burnt off. And as Joseph listened to his brother Judah begging for mercy and pouring his heart out before him, he could no longer refrain himself, say the scriptures in verse uh, 1. And so he immediately dismisses all his servants. And then in verse 2, he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. What a frightening sound this must have been to the ears of the Egyptians who huddled just outside the wall of this meeting room. Joseph, the ruler of all of Egypt, wailing in such a manner. What had happened to him to cause him to weep so? But no one dared to re-enter the room. His brethren, too, were greatly shocked and taken aback, for they knew not what to make of this spectacle before them. What do they do now 
having composed himself somewhat, Joseph, in verses 3 to 4, said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth yet my father live. And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now let me ask you this. What would your reaction have been had you been in their shoes at this particular moment in time? Would it have been shock, fear, grief, surprise, or would it have been relief? I know what I would have said and felt. Fear would have overtaken me, and I would have said to the other brothers, "Uh Uh-oh, we're in deep trouble. But notice what the scriptures tell us in the next 10 verses, verses 5 to 15. First of all, Joseph kindly addresses their fears and griefs by telling them this much most unusual statement in verse 5. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. It was God who sent me here, and it was for a purpose, and that was to preserve your lives and the lives of many others during this terrible famine. You were simply God's instruments of fulfilling his purpose. He then goes on to tell them that there are yet five more years of this severe famine to endure. (coughs) And afterwards, Joseph explains to them how he arose from obscurity to prominence and became exalted to the Pharaoh's right hand. Then he implores his brothers to go back to their father Jacob and to bring him back to Egypt, not only his father, but the rest of their households, which included, as we're told in verse 10, all of their children and their grandchildren, their maids and servants and all of their flocks and all of their possessions. They would be given the best of Egypt's land, the land of Goshen in which to live and to prosper. And Joseph would ensure their prosperity. Once again, he tells them with a sense of urgency in verse 13. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that ye have seen. And ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. Then the scene comes to a close with a most precious act of reconciliation. In verses 14 and 15. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. The second part of the chapter, verses 16 to 28, deals primarily with the brother's journey home. But in summary of this heartfelt story, 
I would like for us to notice that at least three marvelous truths as revealed through Joseph's treatment of his brothers and of his brother's treatment of him. We see again a picture of Christ in Joseph in this last scene. We read that the news soon reached Pharaoh's ears, news of Joseph's brethren and his father back in Canaan. And Pharaoh, we are told in verse 16, was well pleased. He was well pleased because Joseph, who had found favor in Pharaoh's eyes, was also well pleasing in his sight. Pharaoh therefore commands Joseph to say unto thy brethren, This do ye, laid your beasts, and go get you unto the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, and for your wives, and bring your father, and come. Also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. And so joy, uh, Joseph joyfully carries out Pharaoh's instructions, as we can see in verses 21 to 24. This, of course, is a picture of the rapture. When the time is right, the Father will give the Son commandment to bring his brethren and his family of saints home to be with him. Secondly, we see through Joseph God's abundant grace and provision. In the book of Philippians 4.19, we are told, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The brothers came to Egypt originally for corn, for physical food to nourish the body, to keep them alive during this famine. But God not only supplied them with their physical needs, as we have seen, but he met a greater need, the forgiveness of sin and a healing from the bondage of jealousy, envy, and hatred. They, when the time was right, came to Egypt to buy corn, but in the process they received reconciliation to the brother against whom they had so terribly sinned. And thirdly, we see that God always keeps his word and that when he makes a covenant with his people, he always sees it through. But his timing rarely ever coincides with our timetable. Things need to be worked out. Hearts need to be transformed. And the timing always has to be perfect. And so we are brought back to the aging Jacob, whom we have almost forgotten about. But God remembered him and the promises which he made to Jacob. And now God would once again bring Jacob back into the picture. Just when things seemed at their bleakest for Jacob, his sons returned to Canaan with a exorbitant abundance of supplies and news that Joseph is still alive and doing very well. And it was too good to be true. And I believe we all react the same way to such news, don't we? 
We don't believe it. But God is in the business of miracles. And this certainly in Jacob's mind and heart was one of the greatest of its category. We are told that Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not, verse 26. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived, and Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. And so we come to the end of the chapter and once again are left with a happy ending. But now, as always, before I step down from this platform, I must ask you this. Where is your faith placed? Is it placed in the person of Christ or is it placed elsewhere? The Bible clearly teaches us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11, 6. And that by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But that is talking about saving faith. The kind of faith that one must have to believe in Christ that he died for our sins and paid the penalty in full. But that is not the faith I'm talking about here. The faith that I'm talking about is that trusting faith that all believers need to have. When things go wrong, when circumstances are impossible, when all hope is lost to see something done or not done, do you still have faith that God somehow can make things happen? Joseph did. Though he did not understand how, when, or even what, he nonetheless had faith in God that God was with him and had him exactly where he wanted him. When God had all things worked out, Joseph could confidently tell his brothers, God did send me before you to preserve life and to preserve you a prosperity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. But that kind of faith cannot be gotten by simply willing it or wanting it. That kind of faith only comes through fiery trials of life, which refine the soul, which then is able to declare, he must increase but I must decrease. John 3.30 Our brother Jack Carell spoke to us last week on the topic of prayer. He has been battling cancer these past two years and has gone through some horrific pain, suffering, and testing of faith. And what is an amazing testimony he is. How his faith has grown in his God and what God is doing in his life. And the ultimate proof in Jack's life that his faith is pleasing to God is the fact that Jack wants all of this to be to the glory of God, come what may. Oh, how we need to yield more of ourselves 
to God each day and to trust that no matter what happens, God will see us all through it. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful story of Joseph and his brethren. And we look forward to reading how all of this will end at the end of the book of Genesis. And through it all, Lord, our faith has been increased and strengthened to see that our God always keeps his word. Part us now with thy blessing, we pray. If the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us together around the Lord's table next Lord's Day. For we ask it all in his name and for his glory. Amen.